1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and or Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby joined by Mary Kay Cabot. And Mary Kay, you were busy today here on a Tuesday, normally uh, a player's day off. But of course, this Thanksgiving week, uh, a lot going on with the players. And the big thing, of course, is the Feed the Need uh, event at Town Hall. Previously, Baker Mayfield had his name attached to that. That, of course, is not the case anymore. Uh, it is Nick Chubb. Miles Garrett was a part of it. Just a lot of Browns players, Cavs players. Um, a lot of different local Cleveland celebrities. I know Bernie Kosar was there, uh, a lot of people there for this event. So I, I know you had a chance to catch up to some Browns players. I, I mean, let's just start there. What, what did you kind of see and, and hear today as, as you made your way up to town hall in Ohio city?
2: Well, first of all, let me just say that it, it really is a very nice event. It's, uh, You know, this was the 10th anniversary of Feed the Need. And as you mentioned, Baker used to host it. Nick hosted it this year and Miles hosted it. And the cool thing about both of those guys hosting it this year is both of their moms were there. (laughs) So, yeah, I was able to, um, you know, tweet out a picture of Miles with his mom. And I was kidding around on Instagram saying that, you know, now I know how to get Nick Chubb to smile. All you have to do is bring (laughs) his mom on the scene. And he was all smiles. Uh, So it's kind of good to see players out of their element a little bit in a more relaxed setting, of course, doing such a a good deed for the community. Uh, So many meals were served uh, today to, um, you know, to needy people. And these guys just willingly give all of their time and energy and effort to do it. Joel Batonia was there. I saw Kareem Hunt there, David Njoku. Um, You know, so many guys were there. JJ3, Greg Newsom. Um, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving out a number of other people that were there. Um, oh, Denzel Ward, I saw Denzel there and it just means so much to these people, uh, you know, to be able to interact with the Browns and everything. So it was really cool. Um, and I did get a chance to talk to a couple of guys. So I spoke first of all, uh, with Greg Newsom, and Greg, he looks good. He seems good. Uh, he says he feels 10 times better than he did last week when he got the concussion on Friday, right before that Bills game. So he says he feels good, doesn't know if he's going to be able to be sprung from the concussion protocol. Because as Denzel told us, that, you know, it's tougher to get out of the concussion protocol now, ever since Tua and his controversial concussion. So let's start with Greg and, you know, what, you know, what else do you want to know about what Greg said?
1: Well the concussion protocol thing is interesting because obviously he was there. So that tells you that he's at least at some point, I mean, that's a loud environment. It's bright. There's a lot going on there. So that's probably a good indication that he's nearing the end of this, which would actually be surprising because it did just happen on Friday. Like you said, Um, we don't get an injury, an injury report until Wednesday, but I I guess this is probably as good an indication at this point in the week that Greg could be back um, on, on Sunday. Just the fact that he was there and that he spoke.
2: Yeah. And he might be being really optimistic about his chances of being back because it's really out of his hands. It's in the hands of the independent neurologist that handles these situations. The Browns don't even have anything to do with it. So the indie neurologist has to clear him. And again, it's not easy. And he has to get back to his baseline. He has to have had no symptoms of any headaches or any of the things that he's had lately, no sensitivity to light and that sort of thing. But just from a standpoint of passing the eyeball test, he looked good. He looked energetic. He was his jovial self. He was interacting with fans and, uh, you know, serving, serving meals. And, uh, you know, he looked like someone that could possibly get back on the practice field this week. And he really wants to, because there's something about Greg, uh, he's got something in common with some of these other guys that we've talked to on this football team, and they have a fundamental belief that they still have a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, Greg was not kidding about that. He truly believes that they just need to go out and beat the Bucks to get to four victories, and then bring Deshaun back and see what he can do in the final six. Of course it would require winning all of these seven games. But the Browns look around at themselves and they think, my goodness, we are talented enough to beat anybody in the NFL. Why can't we do this? Why not us? And honestly, even though we're kind of looking at them like going, or I was looking at them kind of going, really? Do you really feel that way? They really feel that way. I mean, you saw and heard David Njoku, you know, get a little, um, I don't know if uh, annoyed is the right word, but, uh, questioning me, asking him about the fact that they're not handing over a playoff contender to Deshaun. He's like, what do you mean? The tone that you're uh, using there states that, you know, that that we don't have any hope or that it's over and it's definitely not over yet. So these guys are are clinging to the belief and the hope that they just need to win the next game. And it's kind of interesting to see how, how that is kind, uh, kind of bubbling out of the surface here.
1: Yeah, I saw the video you put up on Twitter, um, and of course you you'll have stories about all the, these conversations you had at Cleveland.com slash Browns, but going back to the Njoku thing, we touched on it just a little in the Hey MK pod, but we didn't really have time to come back to it. I I actually was really taken not taken I don't know if taken aback as well. it stood out to me. Like it was, you know, you sit through all these press conferences and these Zoom calls and things can just kinda go in one ear and out the other and they bounce off you, but there was something about Njoku yesterday that just stood out to me. And I I ended up writing about it yesterday that it felt like he was delivering this message. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, this season has been so much about finger pointing and, you know, scheme and we got to fix communication. We got to fix scheme. We got to do all this. And and Njoku kind of just came out and said, we got ourselves in this position. We're the only ones that can get out of it. And then when you made the suggestion that it was over, he bristled at that, and he <laughs> actually said to you, like, uh, I mean, is, is that what you're saying? I He basically just blatantly disagreed with you right there on the Zoom. I kind of liked it. I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't bet anything that this team will make the playoffs. Um, it, it's still incredibly unlikely, but, I mean, I, I, I kind of like that. I, I kind of liked the way Njoku approached it yesterday, and, and I like the way Greg is talking today.
2: Yeah, you know what? I mean, that showed a lot of leadership on the part of Dave Njoku to just uh, pump the brakes and say, wait a minute, this thing is not over yet. And even though it sort of feels over, even Miles, after the Miami game, stated unequivocally, we have to win the next two games if we want to hand anything over uh, to Deshaun. And then after after they lost against the bills, he revised that, and he changed his tune and said, "No, we still do have a chance. And mathematically, they do. They haven't been eliminated from playoff contention yet. I mean they if they went out and won all seven of their games, they might have a chance. So um, so yeah, I do think it's kind of interesting. Uh, to know that these guys still have the belief and they still have the fight in them. And here's one of the reasons why I think they do. David Njoku is a really good football player this year. I mean, he's really good. He's living up to the potential uh, that I've been saying for a couple of years that I think that he has. Um, He's playing really well. He blocks like crazy. Uh, You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe it was a different football game if he wasn't on a pitch count against the bills and, was the target on one of those touchdown passes that was dropped in the end zone or even the one in the back of the end zone uh, that Harrison Bryan couldn't get uh, in bounds. So, you know, I think David has such a belief in himself as a football player. I think he really feels that with with him and with Amari and with uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones and and David Bell and those guys on offense that, you know, that they're going to be, tough to beat in these last seven games. And then you look on the other side of the ball, Denzel Ward is back. JOK came back really strong uh, from his knee injury and had a really nice game against the Bills. I think they're looking at it and saying, you know, we're a really darn talented football team, but, and we we could do this. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that, that they feel this way, and it means that they are going to go out and they're going to play their tails off on Sunday.
1: So the, the, the one thing though, that I keep thinking of, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. Cause I, I've just been thinking about that bills game a lot. And earlier today, I recorded a segment with Lance and You're going to hear that uh, coming up after this part. Um, and, and I mentioned this, it, that game felt, and I'm not saying this team is as bad as like the 2016 and 2017 teams. That game felt like a few games we saw, though, in 2016 and 2017 where the Browns kind of came out and it was really interesting in the first half. And the other team, for whatever reason, was just sort of, you know, for the Bills, there was a lot going on and it just felt like they weren't awake. And, you know, I feel like we saw that a few times in those those two years. And then when the Bills kind of decided, hey, you know what, we're done here, we're just we're going to start running the ball and we're going to pull away. That's that's the part that concerns me, is it just, I felt like we saw that game again and again and again over those two years when the Browns were just overmatched. Now, again, this is not the 16 and 17 Browns. I'm not making that direct comparison to a team that won in 31. But the comparison I'm making is like, what scares me is the Bucks, as shaky as they've been, could come in and at some point Tom Brady could just decide, you know what, I can kind of get whatever I want against this defense and Byron Leftwich might decide we can just run whatever we want against this defense. I think while I like hearing the players aren't done, that that they want to see Mm -hmm. this through and and try to try to pull this together. I I guess this is my long way of saying, I just think there's too many fundamental flaws here. I think there's too many fundamental flaws for this team, even with Deshaun Watson to even think about winning seven in a row. And the players should, the players should feel like they can win seven in a row mm-hmm. from where I'm sitting. It's hard though, for me to see it happening.
2: Yeah. And I think part of it is when you have an elite quarterback, like Deshaun Watson. And again, we don't know at what state he's coming back in. We don't know what he's going to look like right from the start, but if he were the Deshaun Watson, let's just assume that he were the Deshaun Watson, that, that everybody has remembered from 2020 and previous years, the elite quarterback. That makes up for a lot of stuff, okay? That can make up for bad run defense. If you have, I mean, there's, there's, there are teams that give up a lot of rushing yards. But if they're scoring points offensively, it just it makes up for it. And um, so I do think that there is a sense of when Deshaun comes back, if they are running a more high-flying offense, and they've done a nice job offensively. Uh, but if they have it all going on, passing game, running game, the tight ends are healthy, um, the young receivers are coming back, uh, coming up the learning curve, you know, I, I think that that could cover up some of the ills on defense. I really think so. There have been teams in the past, like Kansas City, for instance, where they didn't have a good defense at all. And they still might have even gone to the Super Bowl that year, right? Because if you have an explosive enough offense and you're scoring enough points, then it makes a difference. And I think when I look back to this Bills game, everybody keeps talking about the defense, talking about the defense. The offense did not do its job in the first half of that game. Had they done their job in the first half of the game, there's a really good chance that they could have won that game. There's a really good chance they could have won it. But instead, there was you know a fumble. There was back to- back stops on third and one and fourth and one there were drops in the end zone there were uh, you know just one thing after another offensively and you know you score 14 more points like they should have in the first half it's a different ball game it is a different ball game so you know and that, and that fires up your defense too when you're scoring points like that, That fires up your defense to the point where they get rejuvenated. They know that they don't have to be perfect, that they don't have to hold uh, Josh Allen to nothing, you know, that they can, you know, breathe a little bit. So, um, So I do think that, you know, the offense had a large hand in them losing that football game, and it was a big game.
1: Yeah, it was a huge game, and I agree with you. I mean, We come away from talking about the, the defense, but the offense had opportunities to, like, mm-hmm. like I said, Buffalo Buffalo left that door open, yes. and they failed to take advantage of it, and that's what you have to do to pull an upset, and they, mm-hmm. they couldn't do it. Um, who else did you talk to today?
2: I talked to John Johnson three today, and what I tried to talk to him about mostly was, hey, what's Grant trying to say to us? And what's, what is Miles trying to say to us with some of the more cryptic comments that we heard from them? I, I was trying to, you know, get a handle on, you know, are these guys kind of taking some shots at Joe Woods or are they saying the players need to step it up and do their jobs better? And and JJ3 said, and he said this in the locker room too after the game, uh, that, that this is a player-driven league, that they're given the game plans and they have to go out and they have to do their jobs. It's kind of the same thing that David Njoku was saying yesterday. Uh, so he was very adamant about the fact that, you know, we just all have to buckle down and do whatever role uh, we've been given, and we have to do it to the best of our ability and obviously better that we ha- than we have been doing it. And so he, you know, he put it on, you know, he put it on the players. And, um, and he, you know, he basically, he, he did also say, uh, that the players and the coaches they do have to be on the same page. They have to be communicating. But he certainly, you know, didn't give me any vibes whatsoever that hey, it's time for Joe Woods to go. I, I just didn't get that.
1: Yeah, and then look, there's been opportunities for guys, I think, to maybe subtly or not so subtly make that case. Um, we're sort of we sort of read between the lines on some things. I don't know that anyone uh, to this point has directly come out and said, or even. I mean, Miles, maybe I guess has hinted a little. I don't know. Do you th- do you get the sense from these players as you've, you've listened over the last couple of days that like they just outright don't want Joe Woods here?
2: No, no, I'm not. I'm not getting that. I, I feel like they all want things to be better. They want the communication to be better. They all want to be working together better. Um, but I don't get the sense that they're wishing that Joe was gone tomorrow. I, I don't get that sense. Even JJ three said, "Yeah, we do need to do whatever we can uh, as players. You know, not just to save Joe, um, but but to improve and to live up to the potential that we know we have."
1: Okay, so one one other thing I want to touch on, and uh, you know, I always think this stuff is interesting because you are in that room um, every single year. Joe Thomas, as expected, is um, going to make it. He's he's going to basically get to have his case heard. That's the simple way of putting it um he is one of the semifinalists for the pro football hall of fame class of 2023 what I guess let's just start here so everybody kind of understands what's the process here now w- where does this go for Joe moving forward like what's next is it is the next step the vote you guys at the Super Bowl in that room
2: no the next step is to whittle it down from 28 semifinalists. Um, we had done that, you know, I I think our ballots were due on November 11th, I think it was. Uh, so we, we vote online and it goes to, I think, uh, I can't remember. It might be Deloitte and Touche or somebody like that. They tabulate the votes. And so, you know, we do that. It's, it's all digital now that is. And, um, and so then it came out today, the 28 semifinalists, and Joe Thomas is one of them. Now, the next step is, and I got to look up when it's due again, but the next step is to whittle the 28 down to 15. So then it's 15 and those 15 are the ones that we deliberate on in the room. And it's quite the process. Ever since COVID, we've, we've started doing it via Zoom. And I think we're doing it that way again this year. Um, so instead of sitting around this large room, there are 49 selectors. Instead of sitting around these this big square table around the perimeter of 49 people. Now we're doing it on zoom and, um, it lends, it actually lends itself pretty well to zoom. It, you know, it's not a horrible format to do it in. Um, I think it might make it a little shorter too, somehow, some way. Um, but yeah, Joe will get down to the 15 and then I fully expect him to be a first ballot hall of famer. I really do. I expect Joe to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, so I hope that happens. Um, Tony will present him. I'll make some remarks as well. Um, I'll, I'll also have my say, and um, you know we'll we'll do the best job that we can for Joe, and hopefully he goes into the Hall of Fame this year.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, I mean it's it's getting close, and like you said, I mean he'll he'll certainly be. Uh, among those, among that group of, of 15. And I, I was kind of looking through the list earlier um, of, you know, some of the guys that maybe, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think like uh, looking through, I mean, Dwight Freeney, James Harrison, Rodney Harrison, Devin Hester. Uh, I'm just throwing out some uh, Darrell Revis is interesting, but it seems like there's a pretty clear path for joe thomas to be one of the the final five
2: yeah i you know i i really do hope so i've thought all along after covering him throughout his entire career that he should be a first ballot hall of famer and he tells the story once again of of when i asked him a question at his locker uh you know maybe it was the first interview that we did with him at his locker and, and he did say, you know, that's my goal. I plan to go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, it, it's amazing uh, that he called his shot there and it's going to happen. And I only hope it happens on the first ballot because it's really cool to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And it's not easy. That's not easy. It's a tough room and it should be. You know, every time we get done with Hall of Fame voting, you know, we get ripped for, um, you know, for the job that we did. Cause this guy didn't get in and that guy didn't get in, but you know, people do need to be reminded. This is the hall of fame. This is the hall of best of the best, greatest of the greatest. I mean, think of, I mean, baseball, some years, they don't even put it. I mean, there was a year where they didn't even induct anyone. Right. Um, and think of how many baseball players there are each year that are eligible. So, um, it's tough. It's tough to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but Joe deserves it. Joe deserves it. And I really, really hope that he gets it. We yeah, have to get I, Joe back on the pod. Maybe we should do that. I, Let's get Joe on the pod. I
1: know. Yeah, we should get him on the pod here between now and uh, some sometime here. Yeah, We, we got to get Joe back on. Uh, yeah. Make him a recurring guest on uh, yes. on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. He was, he we'll was great. Uh, go back through the feed and find that if you didn't listen the first time. He was, he was really good on a lot of different topics uh, when we had him on. I don't even remember when that was during the offseason, but
0: just know it yeah. was really
1: good. Um, Very good. Okay. Anything else uh, before we, you know, we'll try and get everybody a pot again for Thanksgiving. We're going to wow. do our preview pot as well. That should go up on Friday. I mean, I was thinking maybe we've said this before, but this does feel like this is it. If you want to see Tom Brady in person in Cleveland, this is probably, <laughs> I, I should, probably don't even need to say probably this is it because tampa won't be back here for another eight years i I mean i suppose they i I don't know how all the the crossover 17th game works but um i I don't know i unless he ends up somewhere finishing out his career in like miami or someplace like that although miami seems set at this point uh that this is your last chance
2: yeah it's pretty incredible and it's also pretty incredible to think of uh how old he is and how many years he's been doing this and knowing that I've been covering his career uh for all of these years, my goodness. It's just <laughs> almost mind blowing uh to think that he could still be doing us this at the age of what is he now? Forty what?
1: He is forty five. He turns, 45. turned he turned forty five in August. Yeah, Which, which, by the way, it's very telling that he's 45 years old, and I'm still a little nervous saying this is your last chance to see him in Cleveland, just on the off chance that maybe he'll be back here at age 53.
2: (laughs) I mean, you know what? You keep eating that avocado ice cream, and who knows what can happen, Dan? My goodness. Uh, But this has been a rough year for him emotionally, getting divorced. I mean, who saw that coming? Uh, You know, I mean... They, they seemed like the, uh, the power couple that they were here to stay. So, you know, I think it's been a very difficult year on him in many ways. I don't know if he has second-guessed his, his decision to come back or not. Um, but they're getting it together. They've won two straight games for a 5-5 five and five record. But, you know, he doesn't have all the talent that he's had in the past. He doesn't have all of his weapons. And he's been a little critical here and there. Uh, So I actually think that there is a good chance that the Browns can win this football game. And then we will be talking about, Hey, maybe Deshaun Watson does have something to play for when he comes back in Houston on December 4th. And we know they're going to win that game. I mean, Houston's horrible. So, you know, then you're talking about being five and whatever at that point. So, um, so yeah. It's another big game. It's another big game to keep uh, to keep hope alive for a lot of people.
1: Tom Brady is coming off the bye. And by the way, Tom Brady knows. He knows an NFL season. He knows Thanksgiving is when you want to start heating up. And his last two games, both wins. 66% completion percentage, 538 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. And he was 22 of 29 for two touchdowns against seattle over in germany so uh maybe tom is starting to heat up a little bit i mean we're we're gonna find out we're gonna find out on sunday the browns defense will either shut him down or uh he'll he'll look like the tom that we've seen come into cleveland and beat this team with ease in the past except for that one weird eric mangini year (laughs) yeah Yeah.
2: that was weird.
1: Uh, That that we're going to hand things off to Lance Risland here. Uh, He's coming up after the break. He looks back on that loss to the Bills in Detroit. Uh, Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great. And welcome back to the Orange to Brown Talk podcast. We now welcome on Lance Reisland for his weekly segment looking back at the most recent Browns game. And Lance, uh, your text to me today basically started out same issues every week. It does feel a little bit like Groundhog's Day right now. Well, it is, it's amazing in terms of, you know, you come out, they get off to a hot start.
0: We um, I, I really talked about it last week in our pod in terms of the script um they're really they're they're outstanding getting the ball to their playmakers they're outstanding uh in terms of timing and rhythm uh really really like well organized and, and once again that's a credit to their um to their, pre- their work during the week and then it kind of goes downhill and then you have the special teams issues and then uh something that you know we have all been talking about for a long time their inability to stop the run um which the bills actually did them a favor and didn't come out and run right at them early And then just to their attention to detail, the pre-snap penalties and uh, people just not doing, not lining up where they should be, the communication issues. Uh, I've watched that, um, the touchdown to Diggs. I've watched it uh, 10 times. I actually have a couple of my friends who are coaches at the college level. I don't know what they were in or who was wrong because there's Emerson's in man. They run that orbit motion and, um, you know, Ward is in zone and, uh, I don't have backers are in zone. So I have no idea what they're in. I'm trying to figure that out. So just the
1: kind of the same issues coming up um, over and over and over. So let's talk about like we always do the inability to stop the run. Let's start there. And we were talking before we hit record, you just sort of can pinpoint the moment when the Bills decided, you know what, forget what we've been doing. Let's just start running at this team. And you actually, you actually wrote that moment down.
0: Yeah, it was about six minutes to go in the second quarter, and
1: the Bills had not really, you know, going into the game,
0: the Bills weren't their big runs, and they're, you know, they're kind of a Josh Allen-driven offense, and even with the run game. So, uh, down in the red zone, he's the primary runner. But anyway, like during in the main part of the field, they usually um, when they get a big run, it's from him. And about six minutes to go in the second quarter, they just kind of ran right at the Browns, and I wrote it down in my notes, thinking um, this is going to be bad. Now, this is going to be when the kind of the tide turns. Uh, it seemed, you know, with the fumble snap, the couple drops they had, and then them kind of figuring out to run right at the Browns, which I'm sh- shocked they didn't do early. But they didn't practice a lot. They had, you know, they were right for the pick. And if the Browns, could, you know, could have played, that was about um, as unprepared as a team can be in terms of the weather and the travel and things. So, uh, about six minutes to go in the second quarter, that's when they started running right at the Browns.
1: Yeah, I've said this a couple times. It really did feel. I mean, the Bills looked like a team that had to dig out of a snowstorm. And figure out how to get, how to, get to, to Detroit, uh, but then, like you said, right around they didn't get a first down until about eight minutes left in the in the first half. And once they did that and kind of got things rolling a little bit, it was uh, it was about over. One of the other issues, though, you mentioned, you know, the red zone issue. You mentioned the fumbles, but special teams uh, really let this team down again on Sunday.
0: Well, you know, and and when you're not when you're not um, playing very or consistently on either side of the ball, you have to win special teams, and that special to me, special teams to me is all about preparation. Um, Special teams should at least be a wash in terms of uh, coverage units and uh, kick returns. You know, I thought um, I thought Ford did a nice job with kick returns. I think they found a guy there that can do some things on kick returns, but in terms of uh punt coverage and kick coverage and punting and punting average and extra point and field goals those things should all at least be a wash in my opinion uh with high level teams at any level and right now the browns are losing that as well and to me a lot of those um are attention to detail things in terms of getting lined up not losing contain on uh kicks uh you know getting you know low kicks or getting
1: blown off the ball movement it's just it's really, uh, it's telling in terms of the attention to detail that they're lacking right now. Yeah, that was the next question I wanted to ask. You had mentioned poor attention to detail. Generally, what sort of things, you mentioned a few there on special teams, but generally, what are you looking for? What stands out to you when you see a team, and, and this could be on defense, offense, special teams, that you say, that, that's, de- I mean, that's it. That's poor attention, attention to detail right there. Yeah, you know, it's in the littlest things, running on and off the field, the communication issues, the
0: sharpness of uh, your stance, start, and alignment. So you're talking basic stuff at the basic level of football, and then you get into uh, the things that should be automatic, extra points and field goals uh, under 50 yards, especially at the NFL level, uh, getting lined up, making sure you have gap integrity, communication on, um, uh, you know, routes that they've been struggling with, those red red zone routes, are they in man or are they in zone, um, contain on... Uh, you know, kick return and and just those little things that should be, um, you shouldn't even talk about because they're not they're a, a, they're a point that no one even talks about because everything's a wash, um. So those attention to details and just the 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 ability to you know catch the ball uh, when they need a big catch or not get a off sides or you know I think like the the fumbled snap that was a huge turning point in the game and that fumbled snap to me I I was talking to somebody earlier today that came from new center in the game, and they were running outside zone to the left. And when you when a center steps hard to the left, um, sometimes a snap is short. And that's kind of a common thing in terms of, like, is it Jacoby Brissett? Is it the center? Do they not take enough center uh, QB exchanges with the backups? Um, all those kind of things that we don't know a lot of in terms of practice habits, but
1: uh, those attention to detail things um, are coming back to haunt them each and every week. Okay, on the offensive side, the Browns' run game has really struggled. So what are you seeing teams do, and, and what did you see the Bills do to kind of shut down Nick Chubb in that run game? Well, it
0: started off It started off with the Miami. I, we talked about it last week. I thought the Bills would play a little more odd. They didn't. Um, but what the the general consensus, whether it's an odd front or an even front, people are not waiting. So a lot of times you'll get the backer, which we talked about with the Browns linebackers in terms of reading the double and getting to their responsible gap. They're not waiting. The Bills did not wait. So if they're seeing a double, if that Mike Backer is in charge of a gap, he's coming. So what they're doing is they're forcing the issue. They're saying, you know what, we'll give up play action. We'll um, we'll give up a shot play here and there, but we're not getting nickel and dime with the run game uh, over and over and over. So what I see teams doing now is that they're, they're forcing the issue. They're saying we are going to crowd the line of scrimmage and we are going to take the gap we're responsible for without waiting. And that's what you saw, and you saw them just ability
1: to – um, beat the double team before it got there on their zone runs. So what can the Browns do, I guess, if anything, just to sort of get this running game jump started again? Well, I think a gap scheme will be, will help them, you know, and they run a lot of gap scheme. They, they, they got to get on rhythm.
0: So first thing they got to do is they got to get on rhythm in terms of first down. So they can't be, they got to stay on track. Uh, the Browns for sure have to stay on schedule and be second and six or under uh, that will allow teams not to, you know, kind of play the run and the pass. Um, I think the gap scheme would help them because now they can, they can get off those double teams and just kind of use angle blocks and get people out of there, especially with the linebackers are coming in those gaps and just kind of be in charge of ABC and D and be really, really simple Um, step with the inside foot and kind of wash things down. Um, And, you know, they're doing a really good job throwing the ball. They're doing some good things. I just think the, um, maybe some, you know, not not everybody likes that, maybe some passing on first down, maybe some play action passing uh, on first down in terms of not just drop back passing. Uh, and then there's got to be some one to. There's got to be like, we're going to run the ball regardless. And I think uh, they've lost that a little bit with some injuries and, and some guys going in and out and uh, Teller being banged up and Postick being out. I think they've had a little bit of communication issues as well.
1: Now, one of the positives from Sunday was the play of Jacoby Brissett. Uh, you know, I've said this a few times this year. That was probably... One of, if not his best games of the year, uh, he had on the first drive when they scored the touchdown, he converted two third and 11s, one on a scramble and one on a throw to Cooper. Uh, he did essentially throw two touchdown passes on the same drive. Unfortunately, Harrison Bryant dropped one and Pharaoh Brown dropped the other. He played really well on Sunday. And it's interesting, you know, look, he's got one game left as the starter, but he has certainly made the most of this opportunity. Well yeah, I think you've talked about a long time
0: ago that you, about that ceiling and I think there is a ceiling in terms of some things you do but I think he's been at that ceiling and that's really hard to do to get there and stay there and play at a really high level. So uh the thing that bothers you is that a lot of team, you know, a lot everybody's thinking that, you know, once Watson gets back, obviously he's a fantastic player, but that's kind of putting a band-aid on a bunch of issues that the Browns are having in terms of their defense and their ability to stop the run and and other issues. Um but I thought he as compared to a lot of the Browns right now, he's in complete command. He had, he playing with great confidence. Uh, that first, that first touchdown pass to um, Cooper, I rewind a, a rewounded a bunch and he made, a, he makes a can, can call, which tells me, you know, I don't know exactly how the Browns do it, but you know, if it's a um, alert call, it's usually, you know, going to the second play. If it's a can call, usually in most offenses, he's changing it to a play. So it's not one or the other play. It's a total new play which tells you he's in complete command. He is uh, seeing things that are in front of him, and he's making throws. He's making scrambles. Um, he see, he plays with a lot of energy. Um, his passion to want to play right now seems a little bit different than the rest of his teammates.
1: He's, he's such a pro, too. You know, in a week when Zach Wilson has taken heat for some things he said after the – actually, well, one word he said after the game on Sunday when, when he was asked if he felt like he let the defense down. Um, Jacoby has just been a pro. All throughout this process, kind of knowing that there was a pretty clear finish line when he was going to have to give this job back that can't be easy, considering he's probably having his best season as a quarterback in this league right now but that that goes a long way to have your quarterback just always be accountable take that leadership role he's not throwing guys under the bus he's just been such a professional through all of this, yeah, and that can't be easy
0: because he it, it, the finish line is there and he is a I like how he takes ownership in terms of when things go bad as a quarterback, as an offense coordinator, as a head coach, you always get too much credit when things are going well. And you always get too much blame when things are going bad. Um, But all the interviews you guys have done with him and all the interviews, he's always saying the right things. He's always positive. Uh, He's always talking about improving. Um, And he does, in my opinion, he does improve each week. And even though he's at a ceiling, he seems to get better and better in terms of understanding where people are supposed to be and getting people lined up and making the correct calls and, um, getting the you know getting the Browns into the right run play as well as the pass play so yeah I think he's uh he's really held his end of the
1: bargain for sure. You you might like this. I was listening to uh, Dan Orlovsky on ESPN yesterday uh, while I was waiting to do something, and he said when you're the quarterback of the football team, it's me when things go poorly, and it's we when things go well. <laughs> and yep. J- Jacoby has really embraced that.
0: Yeah, there's no question, and it, it is, and it's a, such a, it's really weird because when it is, it is such a team game. But when everything is going well, it is we, and everything has to, um, everything has to work in football for it to to go well. All eleven have to do it right. Uh, but there's got to be someone to blame when things are going poorly, and infor- you know, that's the nature of the the position. That's why they get paid the money they do, and they're in the limelight. They are so when things go bad, they get the blame. Uh, and like I said, he's his answers are always. Uh, there's nothing ever negative. Um, he's never throwing anybody under the bus. He's never um, coaches, players, uh, him, even himself. I mean, I think he talks highly of himself in terms of he's just going to keep working and getting better. And that's, uh, again, I think he's held up as end of the bargain for sure.
1: Okay, that's Lance Risland. You can see his work at cleveland.com slash Browns. You can also follow him on Twitter, uh, just at, at Lance Reisland, R-E-I-S-L-A-N-D. Lance, thanks for the time. As always, Dan, thanks for having me
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: All right, Dan Lobby back with you. And it is time once again for the NFL Playoff Committee of One. I will run you through my power rankings, playoff committee style, college football, playoff committee style. Again, the rules. I have to pick at least one team from each division and three wild cards but i can rank them in whatever order i want so i'm going to give you seven from each conference and the first team out and we start in the afc where kansas city remains number one they've grabbed hold of the top spot in the afc after another impressive win this time over the chargers number two still miami no one behind them gave a good reason to drop them after their bye week so miami remains number two buffalo up a spot uh they are the first wild card team I really just needed to see the Bills get back on track. And after they woke up on Sunday, they just toyed with the Browns for what was a relatively easy win. At number four, it's Baltimore. They actually dropped the spot. It wasn't an impressive win over Carolina, but they have a better strength of victory and better strength of schedule than Tennessee, who is my number five team. They move up two spots. The Titans haven't really beaten anybody, and their point differential is plus eight after a 10-point win last week, but I think I like them just a little bit more. Than Cincinnati right now who is number six the Bengals down a spot it's quietly four wins in their last five games for Cincinnati and they play at Tennessee before they host the Chiefs in two weeks the LA Chargers they come up from being unranked they move up after the loss but they still have to prove it here with games at Las Vegas and at Arizona so they can put themselves in a position to really solidify themselves in this top seven and my first team out the new england patriots this is all going to sort itself out the patriots travel to minnesota and then they host the bills over the next two weeks so we'll kind of figure out the bottom of this conference here very shortly over on the nfc side clear number one still philadelphia gritty bounce back for the eagles leaves them at the top dallas back at number two our first wild card the overreaction to the green bay loss was obvious and they proved it this week, so the committee makes up for their mistake and puts them back at number two. Moving them up two spots ahead of San Francisco, who remains at number three, things continue to look up for the 49ers in a very, very weak NFC. Down two spots, the Minnesota Vikings. They have a minus two-point differential, and they're an 8-2 and two team. That's not great. They didn't look the part at all this week. Number five is Tampa Bay. They're up two spots. Having a bye is maybe the best way to move up in the NFC. You just you don't lose. That helps you. Washington up to number six. They were my first team out last week. They're also a wild card winners of five of their last six. They have the Falcons, then back to back games against the Giants around their week 14 bye. So a chance to make a push here for the Commanders. Seattle is my seventh team at six and four, a wild card they can't lose if you have a bye, remember? So that helps you out in the NFC, which we've discussed. A soft next three against the Raiders, Rams, and Panthers is what we like to call here on this committee an opportunity. And then number eight, my first team out, the New York Giants, 7-3. and They dropped three spots. That was a brutal loss to drop out of the rankings against the Lions. And things don't get easier. They get four straight division games coming up, starting with the Cowboys this week, and that's going to determine their fate. So there we go. Our NFL playoff committee of one. Real quickly, again, in the AFC, one Kansas City, two Miami, three Buffalo, four Baltimore, five Tennessee, six Cincinnati, seven the LA Chargers, and the first team out is New England. In the NFC, one Philadelphia, two Dallas, three San Francisco, four Minnesota, five Tampa Bay, six Washington, seven Seattle, and my first team out, the New York Giants. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us five-star reviews. Say nice things about us. We love to hear that. And also become a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns. The blue banner at the top of the page to get that newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. Access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. And you can become one of our text subscribers. Thanks to Mary Kay Cabot. Thanks to Lance Risland. I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks to you for listening.